For the rest of you, if you would, turn in your copy of God's Word to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we've moved out of chapter 3 and all God's people said, amen. All right, so we've taken some time to go through. That's not a surprise to you. If you've been with us at any length of time, you know we take our time with these things and I think it's important. Uh, it's not a race. So uh, God's plan for a healthy church is our study, a continuing study. Study through, I don't have the clicker up here, so somebody can run that. There it is, right there. Thank you. Appreciate that, Reese. Um, it's a study through the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Starting a new section here today, Keys to Lasting Ministry and a Fulfilled Life. This is really the introduction to all of that. It's always a joy to be back in a new section of our letter. So you're held captive by what the Lord has uh, brought me to study so that you know this. It's always been that way. So it's our joy to start. We're going to introduce some of these thoughts today as our habit. But I want to read it first, starting in verse 1 all the way through verse 18. And you can find a copy of New American Standard, which is what I teach from, right in, around you in the chairs, or you can just read in your copy that you read and study every day and, and memorize from, and I'll just give you verse cues. We'll stay together. So you're going to pick up on the word, therefore. So it's therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received uh, mercy, we do not lose heart, verse 2, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Verse 4. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may, might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. And ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Verse 8, for we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Verse 9, persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 10, always caring about in the body, of the, uh, body the dying of Jesus Christ, so that the life of Jesus also might be manifested in our body. Verse 11, for we who live are constantly being del delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Verse 12, so death works in us, but life in you, Verse 13, but having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Verse 15, for all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for, moment, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Verse 18, while we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Bow with me in prayer if you would. Lord, we thank you today for this new section of your word. 
so powerful, so full of truth for us as it always is. We'd like to know what it says, what it means by what it says, and how that applies to us. So I pray that you'll guide us by your Holy Spirit. You'll strike from the minds of anyone who hears anything that I say that varies from uh, the truth of what you have proclaimed here, and that you might seal in our own hearts these things we should take away as we understand the heart of Paul here, as he's carried along by your Holy Spirit to minister to the church and to give us keys uh, to lifelong ministry, keys to fulfilled life. Lord, help us to see these and then uh, begin to apply them as that would be your will. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. You know, you don't have to read very far in around our culture to watch television, to uh, uh, see something online. You'll know that despair and futility and pointlessness, they're not uncommon emotions in our world. Uh, writers, poets have captured these feelings all too often. A line or two from Shakespeare's Macbeth can really give a pretty good idea of despair that prevails to this day amongst the unredeemed. He says, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time and all of our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets this hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Bertrand Russell, in his autobiography, wrote this, quote, We stand on the shore of an ocean, crying to the night and emptiness. Sometimes a voice answers out of the darkness, but it's the voice of one drowning, and in a moment the silence returns. Ernest Hemingway, noted for saying, quote, I live in a vacuum that is as lonely as a radio tube when the batteries are dead and there is no current to plug into. Well-known author Ed, Edgar Allan Poe, tragic figure in American literature, parents, penniless actors, quite the terrible upbringing. He's very young. They died. He went on to live with strangers in a very unhealthy home atmosphere. As a young man, his one true love died, and he became a broken, alcohol-addicted man. Shortly after his wife's death, he wrote one of the most famous poems of all, The Raven. He says, once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. If you remember the poem, which I won't read in its entirety, the story tells of a depressed man. He's filled with grief. He's going mad in his study of the death of his beloved Lenore. And the word that echoes through almost every verse of this poem is the haunting word what? Nevermore. Can I ever discover something that's worth living for? Can I... Uh, will there be anything that happens to me that will turn out right? Is there anything beyond the grave? Will I live after death? You know, will I ever again see my Lenore? Will I ever again have hope? And Poe's answer is no, never more, never more, never more. And so he's had this terrible life, and it's reflected in his outlook. And he writes this poem, and it reflects uh, some of his own life. And the poem ends, And my soul from that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted, what? Nevermore. And so there's his outlook. And now compare that poem, <clears throat> if you will, to one written by Virgil Bach, born not long after Poe died. One night he was out at twilight, and he saw the sun setting in the west, and night was closing in, and he thought about death, and he thought about eternity, much the same as we just saw in many of the things we just read a few moments ago. He thought about his loved ones who walked no more on the earth, and he wrote this. Beyond the sunset, O glad reunion, with our dear loved ones who've gone before in that air homeland will know no parting. 
beyond the sunset. Now, what's the last word? Forevermore. That's a significant difference, isn't it? The soul without Jesus Christ nevermore, but the believer sings evermore. And the ministry of the gospel is what makes the difference. Uh, the absence of hope and of the gospel, of course, brings despair, it brings fertility, it brings pointlessness, people unfulfilled. Uh, William Lane Craig captured it in a debate not that long ago when he said for, quote, if there is no God, what's so special about human beings? They're just accidental byproducts of nature which have evolved relatively recently on an infinitesimal speck of dust called planet Earth, lost somewhere in a hostile and mindless universe, and which are doomed to perish individually and collectively in a relatively short time. So he kind of sums up, he kind of sums up the entire philosophy, although they won't admit it, of those who don't know Christ. A.W. Tozer, many years before that, of course, thinking along the same lines in his book, Whatever Happened to Worship, he says, quote, the average person in the world today without faith and without God and without hope is engaged in a desperate personal search throughout his lifetime. He does not really know where he's been. He does not really know what he's doing here and now. He does not really know where he's going. The sad commentary is that he's doing it all on borrowed time and borrowed money and borrowed strength, and he already knows that in the end he'll surely die. So those guys, both believers, sum up really the philosophy of the world, and the key ingredient that's missing is the glorious gospel of hope. And in these stories, the people who are overcome with despair and the futility, and there's certainly some sad episodes in their past, and we're not diminishing that at all. Lives filled with disappointments, lives filled with tragedy, lives filled with, with uncertainty, lives filled with hardship and sorrow. Uh, those, we're not minimizing that. But must the end result always be a woe-is-me attitude? See? Because... Of, because if that's the, the reality, then how does the Apostle Paul come to us in this passage, revealing his heart? And in verse 1, he says, we do not lose heart. How does he say in verse 8, I'm not crushed and I'm not despairing? And in verse 9, not forsaken, not destroyed. And again, in verse 16, we do not lose heart. Now, how can he say that considering the things that he endured? I mean, how can he say that at the end of his life? How can he say in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I've fought the good fight. Can you advance that for me, guys? For some reason, we're stuck here. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. How did he get through everything that he went through and be able to say that? And how can we be obedient? Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, how can we be obedient to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and run the waste with endurance that is set before us. How can we do that? I mean, if, if, we, if it's all dependent on what our life before was like and all the difficulty we've gone through and we're just supposed to end up with just despair, as we saw Bertrand Russell say, or, or Edgar Allan Poe, or, or any, any of a hundred others, those are just like the tip of the iceberg. How can we say at the end what Paul, what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4? And not only run it and get to the end and say, I'm done, finally. Not that. But in the middle of it, be able to say, as Paul said, I've not lost heart, I'm not crushed, I'm not despairing, forsaken or destroyed. How do we do that? See, because if anybody could drive you to lose heart, it was this Corinthian church. I mean, I think that you know that enough, enough of it by now as we've gone through this, uh, these two letters to know that. If anybody could crush you, if anybody could drive you to despair or make you feel forsaken or incapable or powerless or drive you to quit the ministry, it's this Corinthian church. Many there did their best to discourage and disappoint Paul. 
They uh, were sinful and shallow. They were rebellious and they were critical. Uh, their dissatisfaction with him was a pretty poor return on his love and his sacrifice to them. Uh, he spent two years there and after his departure had to deal with disunity and jealousy and immorality and lawsuits. He had to deal with cliques and factions and uh, around the community table. He, they accused him of all kinds of things. You know, he's just in it for the money or, you know, he has no credentials. We shouldn't listen to him. You know, they slandered him to his face. They slandered him behind his back. They said that he was an unimpressive speaker. He was unimpressive in person. They just capture any of those things. Imagine someone saying that to you on a regular basis and then what your response perhaps could be. Okay. So uh, back at the first of the letter, he says, and we mentioned this not too long ago. You can look there if you wish. I won't put it on the slide. Just a few pages back, 2 Corinthians 1.8. Do you remember this? He says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. Paul says, I got to the point that I was in such peril of death, I, I thought for sure I was going to die, that my only hope was in the resurrection. God was going to have to raise me from the dead to continue the ministry I was doing because there were so many people who were trying to kill me. And he lived every day under attack from so many directions. How could he say we do not lose heart? You know, flip forward a few pages, 2 Corinthians 6, 4. In much endurance, in afflictions, in hardship, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. A little further down in verse 8, he says, By glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, unknown yet well known, dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Evil reports called a deceiver, called an unknown, you know, dying, punished, sorrowful, poor, having nothing, difficult, hard existence. And he could have just named just the negative parts, evil reports, deceiver, unknown, dying, punished, sorrowful, having nothing, poor. And they just put it in a meme in Facebook and said, this is my life. Just kind of summed it up that way, see. How about if you had a ministry that was like that? Maybe you have. You know, would you stick it out and run your race so it was one to get the prize? You lay down every encumbrance and the sin which easily entangled us and runs in the race with endurance that's set before us? If you had a ministry like that, see? What if you had a marriage that was like that? It was that tough. Or previous life experience. So, you know, what if your life had, had some difficult things in it? What if it does still? Would you be able to say, I do not lose heart? Because Paul uses we every time. So he's bringing you in, whether you like it or not. I don't know about you, but I see some significant life lessons here in our passage. As, we, as I read through it several times uh, this week again and, and uh, thought through the things perhaps where the Lord was going to tell us about this. You know, I, th I see some significant things both in keys to lasting ministry and, and keys to a fulfilled life. And I believe that they're connected to one another. How about the snapshot we find forward a few more chapters, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Verse 23 says, In far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten time without it, number, often danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. 39, three times I, received, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, 
dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, off without food, in cold and exposure. See, this is, Paul, this is Paul's life. See, I think that old TV show called Hee Haw. How many remember Hee Haw from many years ago? Oh, yeah. Many Hee Haw uh, uh, lovers, including me. Buck Owens, Roy Clark, always a hoot to watch. But the song that probably captures how most people would respond to that that we just said, you know what I'm going to say, right? Gloom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me, right? And then they go through some situation, right? And they sing about it, and it's hysterical. But it's hysterical, except that you realize that most people respond, maybe not that corny, but most people respond to a series of bad events or perhaps a past or difficult times right now in just that way, see? And, and yet Paul is able to rise above all the physical difficulty and be able to say, I don't lose heart. And on top of all the physical traits uh, of this Corinthian church, if there ever was a church that was able to drive somebody out of the ministry, this was it. And, and this is a church that, that Apollos left. He was there after Paul. Apollos left. And Paul could not convince him to go back to it. He wouldn't do it. Paul, uh, Paul said, no, I'm not going back at this time. This is a church that nobody wants to pastor. But Paul says even to that in 2 Corinthians 11:28, apart from such external things, the things we just listed, there's this daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who's weak without my being weak? Who's led into sin without my intense concern? So on top of all the other things, here's his heart, see? In, in enduring all the difficult stuff that he's had to endure, uh, there's this burden of concern for the churches. This is his life. How, how do you not only survive that, see? And all the external assaults and all the attacks and all the backbiting and all the things that got said to him, to his face and behind his back, and, and all the internal anguish for all the church uh, that you've poured your lives into, see? Uh, seemed to make no difference. So on top of all the difficult things, he thinks to all the churches where he's pastored, and he thinks to all the people who, you know, just turned right to sin, and, and, they, and they just stay there after all your discipleship and all the times that you spent speaking to them, and they just move to sin. They won't change their course. Hard-hearted, stiff-necked, and Paul thinks about these things, see? Everybody, everybody who's having a difficult time, who's weak without my being weak, who's led into sin with my intense concern. So on top of all the difficult things, he's worried about the church. See, this is his heart. Or perhaps, you know, people you've disciplined, uh, discipled for a, a long time, they turn on you, they say things to you. You know, how do you not only survive that, but actually say we don't lose heart? So, you know, he's pulling you in too. See? How do you not only survive, uh, but get to the end and actually say, you know, I fought the good fight, I kept the faith, and finished the course. See? And maybe you're thinking, well, it's by the grace of God. Of course it is. Yes. Uh, it's by the power of God. Yes, it is. However... Can I say, he's still working through you or me, right? I mean, he's still, he's still working through people made out of clay. Yes, it's the power of God. Of course it is. Yes, it's the Spirit of God. Yes. But we're working, he's working through people made of clay. See, It's the Holy Spirit in control of an individual. Okay? It's not just some esoterical out there, you know, hey, it's the power of God. Well, yeah, working through someone who's submitting to that power and understanding his purpose in life or her purpose in life and doing what um, the, the Lord has instructed them to do. Day in, day out, instant, in season, and out. See, the power is available though to every individual believer, but not everyone ends up here saying, you know, I've, I've fought the good fight, I kept the faith, I finished the course. You know, I, I'm not destroyed, I'm not uh, brought down, I, I, uh, I'm not discouraged. See, 
Nobody, nobody, not everybody ends up there in the middle of hard times or in the end of hard times. Not everybody ends up there. See, not everybody ends up there at the end of ministry or in the middle of ministry and is able to say the things the Apostle Paul says, see? So again, I think this section holds some important truths from the heart of Paul, keys to lasting ministry, not just grinding it out, but lasting, flourishing ministry where you can say, I fought the fight, kept the faith, finished the course, and, and those same keys are keys to a fulfilled life. And these are the apostles' anchor points, if you will. We're just going to call them keys to, a full, keys to lasting ministry and fulfilled life. But these are really his anchor points. Uh, this is where he can hook up and he knows he's not going to be moved. See, in the middle of the night when you're sailing and, you, and you're going to stop, I mean, you, you don't typically keep going if nobody's at the helm and you'll anchor up and you have a GPS that tells you where you are. And, and occasionally from time to time in the night, you can look and see that you're exactly on the same GPS points. You know you haven't drifted. These are Paul's anchor points, see. And they become these very strong places where in uncertain circumstances and in disappointments and in the never-ending temptations that come at every believer and especially at the ones who serve the Lord in this fashion, you've got to have something that can keep you on course, to keep you on track. Waypoints, you know, in the GPS world, the tracking plotter and waypoints, so you know where you've been and you know which direction you're supposed to go. It's the only way you can know you're on course. You know, they keep you where you're supposed to be. It's, and it's not just a nice thought. These keys are not just nice thoughts. Say, you know, well, I'll keep that in mind. Maybe that'll work. You know, I remember one time uh, we were going offshore, a buddy of mine and I in his boat, 23-footer, and he had just bought a GPS tracking system, and he didn't know how to use it. So we're, we're getting ready to go, getting ready to put in. He goes, why don't you set this up? And Because and, we're going to go pretty far offshore. Just go ahead and use it. So I read the instructions, and we got going. So we go out, and we stay a long time, and it's almost dark. We're pretty far off on the east side of the Keys, and, and it's, the seas are pretty choppy, and he goes, oh, well, we probably should pull up and go. So he gets ready to go, and he starts taking off, and I go, we're supposed to, we got to go this way. He goes, well, I, I, think it's, I think it's over here. I go, dude, this is not, I'm not arguing with you. It's not even a question, all right? The GPS tracker says we're supposed to go this way to our first waypoint. This is the way we have to go. And, it, I mean, you don't want to come in in the Key Barrier Islands. You don't want to come in in the wrong place. I mean, it's really shallow, a lot of shoals. Some islands are not exposed, but only exposed during low tide, and you run right over them. So that's the whole point, is that, you know, these, these I think these points that Paul goes through, these are not, well, these are nice thoughts, and, you know, maybe, maybe this will work. You know, you get into trouble quickly when you get off course here. If you want to have a lasting ministry, if you want to have a fulfilled life, then these things are going to be part of what you do. And so Paul has these points, and he shares them with the church as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, because they are effective at... at uh, lasting ministry and and the believers finding a fulfilled life and he's carried along by the holy spirit to do it and so let's look as many as we can in the time we have as we kind of set the stage for this look at second corinthians chapter 4 verse 1 and we'll just kind of work our way through as many as we can get to okay so here's the first one second corinthians 4 1 it's going to call us back to what we just got through studying paul says this therefore since we have this ministry so here's your fir- here's your first gps point here's your first key to lasting ministry what is it he was certain about the validity of his calling. And we, we talked about that so much, so I won't go back on that. If you missed any of those about the glory of the gospel and all of that, I want you to go back and look at that because that's key to understanding this about the importance of your calling and what you're called to do. And we've just come off that study and, and he is call, you know, his calling is the proclamation of the new covenant. Again, he pulls you in with the we on that. Uh, we are sufficient uh, to the new covenant. And that... New covenant brings life, 
It abounds in glory. It doesn't fade. These are things we talked about. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's a ministry of righteousness, imputed righteousness. It's a sure expectation of a wonderful, secure future. These are all the things that this new covenant takes in. It removes the veil of ignorance and unbelief. It brings liberty. It transforms the believer into the image of Christ. All the things we looked at in chapter 3 from 6 through 18. So Paul knew that that was his, his main thing, okay? Yes, we have to work. Yes, we have to take care of our family. Yes, we have to do the things in the world uh, to make sure that we provide for the needs of those who are around us, yes. But our main thing, our main thing is our calling in Christ. And that is to proclaim the new covenant, the gospel of Jesus, his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. That is the main reason why we're here, okay? And he stops here first, and that makes sense, doesn't it? Because that's the main thing. That was his main point in chapter 3. It's the reason why he exists. He put everything else aside in Philippians. He says, all my learning and everything I've accomplished and all that, I counted him but rubbish because of this proclamation of the, of the gospel. See? Paul was an educated man, a well-respected man, all of those things. He said, those things are not important in relation to what my calling is in the gospel. And so the question is, why would I be faithful to the end? Why would I persevere to the end? Why will I go through all the obstacles and all the difficulties and all of the things that happen to me? Why? Because we have this ministry that we do. See? He grasps the glorious, unequaled reality of the new covenant gospel ministry, the wonder of redemption, see, and forgiveness. And that is the reality. That's not a, it's not the symbol, see, of the old covenant. This is the reality, a privilege Paul had beyond all privileges. One that, I, as I encourage you in the very last message of chapter 3, you know, if you're not excited about this ministry of redemption, don't expect anybody else to be, okay? You know, and, and again, we can see in this new chapter, we can't say, well, my life's been very difficult and I've had a very hard time or my ministry's been very hard and people have been very hard on me. You know, in comparison, it's infinitesimally small to what Paul went through. And I think the Lord caused him to go through that just so among other things, that we could see in this comparison that this is the overriding drive of his life. It's a privilege beyond all privileges. And it's the great news from God concerning salvation. And catch this, beloved, after everything we just read about Paul, catch this, whatever price might be to fulfill it, the price is not enough to buy him out. Whatever he has to pay, it's, it's not enough to buy him out of the ministry he knows is paramount in his life. See? And if that's, your, if that's your understanding, then it doesn't really matter what comes along from day to day, from week to week, or month to month, or year to year, right? Because you don't know if next year you're going to be dealing with cancer. You don't know if next year you're going to be dealing with the death of someone. You don't know you're going to lose your job. You don't know what, it doesn't really matter, right? Because whatever the price is that you're going to pay on the earth, it isn't enough to buy you out of the main ministry that you have. So Paul lists it first. Why do I endure all the things I endure? Why are the things that are so difficult on me are not too difficult in comparison to having this ministry? No matter what you're going through, what temptations have come your way, what hardship, what difficulty you've lived through, remember 2 Corinthians 2.14, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Think of that, okay? Think of that. You may have been through a lot. You may be going through a lot. You know, you may have paid a high price through the years in ministry. You may have been discouraged, you may have been cut down, whatever. You may have your problems, but we win in the end. And we get to be in the parade with Christ at the head. That's a given. That's as real as if it were going to happen as soon as you got up today. Okay? And when you key in on the fact that as a minister, you get to be used by God to bring the message of life to those who receive it, 
You know, 2 Corinthians 2.15, that's what it says. Remember, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And those that don't receive this message that you give, have, they have greater accountability to God because of your testimony, because you were faithful to the main reason why you're here, see? The main reason why you were redeemed. And you key in on those things, see? You realize, like the Apostle Paul, that there is eternal impact connected to your ministry. And you don't have that on your own, okay? Remember the first, uh, last, uh, first part of chapter 2. You know, the key to being useful to God is not being able to do anything, right? You realize that you can't impact eternity at all with what you bring to the table in the flesh. It's only the Lord doing it, see? And it doesn't, catch this, all right? It doesn't matter how important your job is or how much money you make because those things will all crumble to dust and this will remain, it, shadows, it overshadows all of that. Whatever your education is, whatever your power is, whatever your position, you know, those are, those are fantastic as long as you're using them as a, as a platform for the main thing that you do. But those are all going to crumble to dust and your portfolio will be non-existent. You will leave that to the Antichrist and you will be raptured. Listen, the only thing that, this is going to outlast all of that. So Paul lists it first. It's my main thing. I have this ministry. We have this ministry, see. And think about this. Think about this. Someone is going to hear your testimony of the gospel and the Holy Spirit is going to go to work and God is going to graciously save them. And let me ask you something. What other thing will you do in your life that will have that kind of result? There isn't anything you're going to do in your life from this point on or anything you've done previously that will have anywhere near that result. Seems so simple, doesn't it? Nothing you're going to do is going to have that result. Okay, so that's why Paul lists this first. Keys to lasting ministry, keys to a fulfilled life, that's the very first thing, see? And he's, he's calling up everything we studied, and so we won't go back there. But when you are looking for something that's going to guide you through the high seas and the world with its temptations and its hardships and its cruelty and its betrayals and its disappointments and help you arrive on the other side and be able to say, we do not lose heart, we're not crushed, we're not despairing, we're not forsaken, we're not destroyed, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith, I will lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles me, and I will run with endurance the race set before me, then you are going to follow the example set by Paul and, and be certain about the validity of your calling. What is your main reason for being here? Now, let's look at the next text to lasting ministry, fulfilled life. Look at verse 1 again. He says this, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, this is so great to come right on the back of, of this first thing. As we've received mercy, we do not lose heart. Number two, Number two, this really has to do with heart attitude, okay? And you have this ministry, and the Lord has given it to you if you're redeemed, and that is the primary reason why you are still here. But this is a really hard attitude. Everything we are, everything we have, everything we can do is the result of God's ministry. You need to make that personal, okay? Everything I have and everything I am and everything I can do is the result of God's mercy, Okay? That's the reality of the situation, beloved. You just have to embrace that, okay? And that keeps the right perspective then in front of us. You know, uh, you know you, and I know me, and we know that we really, we, we know what we really deserve, right? I mean, you know you, and I know me, and we know what we really deserve. And if we're honest, you know, 
we can say the right answer if we understand depravity at all, okay? Not, not, the, not the face we put on sometimes when people see us. We're gonna talk about the real you and the real me that struggle with sin every day and have to deal with all the things that come into our mind and all of that, okay? If you know you and I know me at all and we understand depravity at all, we know what we deserve. And Paul could go through the tough times because he knew he didn't deserve anything except judgment, okay? That's a great way to look at it. Apart from you have this great ministry and nothing that you're going to go through is enough to buy you out of it, then you also understand that you really don't deserve anything except judgment. So whatever happens, you know, it's okay because you don't deserve anything better. And I would just say, you know, as you think about this, perhaps this might be, this might help, uh, be helpful to you. The number one inhibitor to embracing that key, okay, we've talked about this before, is the unbelievably overblown estimation of our own self-worth and our own abilities. It is just unbelievable in today's culture. And of course, based on the whole parenting philosophy of you're, the, you're fantastic and you're the best at everything, see? And you can see it in the, in, in the debates that go on today where, you know, my feelings are what are most important, not what, not what facts might be there. And, you know, and it's relative truth and all this kind of stuff, see? It's an unbelievably obese estimation of our own self-worth and our own abilities that keeps us hobbled with the thoughts, okay, if you believe in your own self-worth, your own self-ability, then you're hobbled with these thoughts where war against what we just said, okay? These are the thoughts that you're going uh, to be uh, warring against. That was unfair. Um, they didn't treat me like I should have been treated. I didn't get what I deserve. My life hasn't been that great, see? An overblown estimation of your own self-worth and your own abilities helps us respond, I didn't get what I deserve. And that's because our expectations have not been met, see. We don't have this understanding that everything we have is mercy. We think that we deserve certain things. And so we have this overblown estimation of that. And then that just we just respond, well, they didn't treat me like I should have been treated. That was unfair. My life in the past has been so hard. And that wasn't nice. And that wasn't how it should have been, see. And that's why ministers burn out because their expectations are not met. They should have appreciated me more. They should have listened when I was talking, but they weren't, see? That's this estimation that, you know, I, I, um, I'm worth listening to and you should be hearing it, see? Instead of everything is mercy. And I don't really deserve anything, see? It's, it's unmet expectation. That's why people get disenchanted with church, unmet expectation. They didn't treat me like I should have been treated. They didn't say nice things to me. You know, they didn't call me when I was gone or, or whatever, see? I mean, the list is endless. If, 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 you're, if you're derailed by this idea that you deserve a whole bunch of stuff, see? But if we really understand that we, have, that we have received mercy at every point in our life, everything we are, everything we have, everything we can do is God's visible mercy displayed in us, then whatever the course may be, you can run it. And whatever the fight may be, you can take it, see? And you can just keep faith because it's all mercy, see? And Jesus' words ring out very clearly for us. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. So that you can say, wow, that's not fair. Don't say that to me. I deserve more than that from you. No, not at all. 
Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For at the same time, in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're no different than the people who come before. If they understood everything was mercy, then it was okay to take whatever it was and whatever the course may be, you can take, you can run it, and whatever the fight may be, you can take it. Because number one, you have you have a ministry that nothing can buy you out of, and number two, it's all mercy anyway, right? And so you don't lose heart, and you're not crushed, and you're not despairing, and you're not forsaken, and you're not destroyed. Listen, this is the reality, okay, beloved? It doesn't matter what you think about the reality. The reality is this. John chapter 15, verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, Jesus said. A slave's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. This is only talking about persecution in relation to your testimony. It's not enough to buy you out of the ministry that you do. But I think it, has, it gives us an idea that Jesus didn't think that we should expect anything except being disrespected, right? It's a mercy to be in ministry. That is to say, it's something that we don't deserve. And, and God doesn't need you, but he chooses to use you. And how it must infuriate the wicked one who used to have you, and he was your master, and you were guilty of everything, and now you have been transferred from his kingdom to the kingdom of Christ, and your sins have been forgiven, and you've been set free, and now through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is using you to be the fragrance of his son. It's all mercy, beloved. You didn't deserve anything. I didn't deserve anything. See? We've been transferred from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of his beloved son and how it must infuriate that previous master of ours to see it's us, worthless. He knows what we are. He knows what our inclinations are. And he knows even what the flesh still desires to use us. It's all mercy. See? It's all mercy. It's a mercy to be enabled, enabled in ministry. It's a mercy to be gifted in ministry. It's a mercy to be given strength and health. Everything in my life is a mercy. My wife, my children, my friends, my church. It's 55 years of, of life. That's all a mercy. I'm double nickels this year, all right? What do I bring in myself? Inadequacy. And God in his mercy takes all of that and in my inadequacy and my emptiness, he fills me up and he fills you up too, see? And he makes us useful both now and in eternity. And according to Paul, that attitude is a key to lasting ministry and it's a key to a fulfilled life. Both equally strong to know that everything is mercy and we really deserve nothing. And then, you know, it's not even taking into account what we looked at in first or Second Corinthians chapter 1 where, where we, you know, uh, the difficulties in Christ are manifest and so are, the, so are the comforts. And then when we are comforted by Christ, we become comforters for other people. See, this, this is just so right together with everything Paul has said as he reveals his heart. Do you think he's been disappointed? Sure. He's been hurt? Absolutely. No question he's been falsely accused. No question he's been slandered. No question he's been physically abused over and over again. And yet he says, I don't lose hope. I'm not, I'm not cast down. I'm, I, you know, I understand this. See? This despair, this futility, and pointlessness, people who are unfulfilled, we see it all around us. But it should never be that way for the redeemed, see? Why? Well, just these first two, 2 Corinthians 4, 1, look there. Therefore, since we have this ministry, uh, you know what your main job is. You know, what is it? It's this ministry you've been given. Uh, since we've received mercy, that's the accurate evaluation of all you are. And Paul can say immediately, we don't lose heart because we have this ministry and and we've received mercy, so we don't lose heart. Whatever happens, it's not enough to push us off course. See? 
And then, so you can see where we're going with this, and we'll just use this for the time we have. Squeeze this last one and Look at verse 2, if you would. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Number three, key to lasting ministry and fulfilled life. So people who come to the end of their ministry and can say the things that Paul said are people who win the spiritual battle with temptation and sin on the inside over the long haul. Oswald Chambers had a lot to say about this. He states in My Utmost for His Highest about this verse. He says, You must maintain continual watchfulness so that nothing arises in your life that would cause you shame. He says, quote, Is there a thought in your heart that you would not like to be brought to the light? Then renounce it as soon as it comes to mind. Renounce everything in its entirety until there is no hidden shamefulness, things you wouldn't want known, end quote. Now, Paul's context here, and catch this, beloved, this is so important. This is a former Pharisee. In other words, a well-trained, highly skilled hypocrite and a master of hidden shame. Okay? And if you think that's too strong, remember Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, and Jesus' evaluation of the Pharisees and the Sadducees when he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like a whitewashed tomb, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So that's Jesus' evaluation of the Apostle Paul, which he understands full well now, doesn't he? He understands full well that he was a highly trained and highly skilled hypocrite and a master of hidden shame. And on the outside, he looked perfect. And on the inside, he was full of wickedness. And that's what Jesus' evaluation of that profession was. Jesus could see their hearts. No one else could. Everybody thought that they were righteous. He knew what was on the inside. See. Paul knew he used to be an extremely accomplished fraud. So he says, we have, he's pulling you in again, we have renounced apipomain, that's the Greek verb, that's to put away or put aside or reject. So Paul here says, we, so he's about it and we're about it, renounce, that's in the aorist tense and in the indicative mood, which it is, it's simply past tense. It doesn't have any particular point in the past, it's just past and then now and then past and then now. So aorist middle, so it's reflexive, so the subject is acting on itself, okay? And then the indicative mood, that's to be the current reality of the believer. So every time these things come up, these hidden things, we renounce them, and they come up and we renounce them, and we come up and they renounce it. This is a continuing pattern. So again, this has, doesn't have anything to do with sinless perfection, okay, which that doctor we know is not true, but if it's not really what Paul's teaching about here, but it has to do with a continuing battle that goes on in the mind. And if you want to be the kind of person who has a lasting ministry and fulfilled life, people will come to the end of their ministry and can say things that Paul said, make sure you win that spiritual battle with temptation and sin on the inside over the long haul. And as Oswald Chambers said, you know what, when it comes up and you wouldn't like it to be known, then you reject it, you put it away. See, that's taking captive 
your own thought. These are the things that Paul said in other places. You take captive those thoughts. You're able to do that. Did you know that? You, you have the volition and the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to take, take captive the thoughts of the flesh, of your mind that goes in wherever it goes, okay? And you can put them, you can reject them on a regular basis. And in that habit of rejecting and putting them away. Every time they come up, you renounce them. They come up again, you reject them. They come up again, you put them away. We do it every time. Now, what do we reject? And this is important. We'll, we'll finish up with this. The things hidden. That's the adjective crypta. That's where we get our word cryptic or cryptography. So these are, just to be clear, these are sinful things that are hidden. They're not knowable unless we reveal them. And we don't want to, so we renounce them. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. Did you know that? You are to renounce the hidden things. You would rather not say them. Why? Because they're shameful. They're ugly. They're the parts of, that, that we cast off. See? Renounce things, hidden things, things that he calls hidden things because of shame, meaning they're too shameful to speak of them. Like Chambers said, you would never want to admit that you did them. You'd never confess them to anyone but the Lord because they're too shameful. This is the reality of the believer living in unredeemed flesh, okay? So I'm not talking about just a few people that have to do this. In fact, I'm throwing my hat in with everybody who has to do this because I think that's the normal life of a believer walking with this power of the flesh still active in you, unredeemed flesh, but the new you on the inside. You're ready for heaven and everywhere except this flesh and this brain that's still connected to all the attractions of the world and all the appetites you had before you were redeemed and all that stuff. And Paul says, listen, we are, we are regularly renouncing things hidden. See? Shameful means ugly, disgraceful thoughts, actions that pollute the soul and lead eventually to short-circuited ministry and less than fulfilled life. Okay? If you want to avoid all of that, then you renounce them. Secret sins that eat at character. See? You don't dwell on them. And we've said this over and over again, and you know this. You know, guys that leave their wives didn't stand at the altar thinking, you know, 21 years from now, I'm going to betray my wife and run off with someone else. And yet that's exactly what happens from time to time, doesn't it? More often than we'd like. You know, you see pastors of megachurches because it's very much in, in, the, in the, you know, the cameras catch it, but it happens hundreds of times in tiny churches too, right? I mean, these guys don't intend to go and have an affair, except they didn't capture and reject these thoughts. They renounce the hidden things. They weren't staying on top of that. That's why Paul says, you know what, if you want to have this kind of, if you want to have a lasting ministry, and people will come to the end of their ministry and be able to say the things Paul says, you're going to have to win this spiritual battle with temptation and sin on the inside over the long haul. Maybe you need to catch up with stuff, okay? Maybe you've allowed those sinful thoughts and shameful things to be there way too long, okay? They're really putrefying now. And you need to go back there and you need to reject him. I reject this. This No, this is not what I'm going to think about. No, I'm not going to be this way. No, I'm not going to entertain this in my mind. And I'm not going to do it short term. And I'm certainly not going to do it long term. If you want to get to the end of your ministry and be able to say the things Paul says, then you're going to have to do that, okay? You're going to have to do that. If you don't want to wreck your life, if you want to have lasting ministry, if you want to avoid despair and futility and hopelessness that we saw illustrated at the beginning of the message and we see all around us right now, you have to embrace the wonder of your calling and you have to just look at everything in your life as mercy and beloved. You're going to have to be dealing with sin in your own heart all the time. And that may be thins, sins of thoughts that are not in line with what the Lord says about you. It might be ways that you excuse yourself for behaviors and thoughts and, and actions that you do 
over the long haul and you think that you're justified in doing it, which backs us into everything is mercy, right? You don't deserve anything. See, it can be all, all, any number of issues that are shameful. And the Lord says, you know what? Through Paul, if you want to have lasting ministry and you want to have a fulfilled life, you're going to have to stay on top of that, okay? You're going to have to embrace who you are and what you're put here for, which is your ministry, this glorious ministry of redemption. And you're going to have to, you're going to, have to look at everything in your life as mercy so that it doesn't really matter what the speed bump is. You didn't deserve any better. And when you got better, it was just the Lord's mercy, see? And then you're going to have to be dealing with sin in your own heart all the time, see? And that's all we have time for, but you can see where we're going today. Um, and so the next couple of weeks as we get up to uh, the Sunday before Christmas, we'll put this on pause and we'll, we'll just encourage ourselves with the gospel and the advent of Christ. But we'll go right up to that week before with this and we'll pick up a couple weeks afterwards with this because this, I think this is so powerful individually for change. See, it realigns stuff, you know. We, we, get, we get stuff all out of, all out of perspective, and, and we get stuff that's not important, it's at the top, and we, we're doing stuff, you know, on the side we shouldn't be doing, and we're thinking things we shouldn't be thinking, and, and we're thinking we deserve a whole bunch of stuff we don't deserve, and that just kind of messes the whole thing up, and then we're just kind of wandering around with a lot of despair, and we're just kind of wondering why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing, and this kind of puts everything back, and I think it's a good way to go into the new year as we go through these things, so I pray it's a blessing for you. And you can see, you know, you're going to be held captive by my own study. And this is full of some important keys. And may the Lord add his blessing to our study of them. All right, let's bow and be dismissed in prayer. And uh, we'll move on. We've got a couple fun announcements coming up. And so we want to save some time for them. Lord, we thank you today for your t- our time in the word. And um, I pray that you'll accomplish what you want to accomplish through it. It speaks for itself. It's clear. It's no way we could misunderstand these first three points. Paul calls on things he's already said. There's some uh, base of knowledge that needs to be there, and we have it. So we can't walk out of here and say, well, that couldn't be true because we see from the word that that's precisely what uh, you intended for us to understand. Paul himself, including us, said we reject, we renounce hidden things. And Lord, I pray that uh, we'll do that. pray that we'll understand that we, everything we have is really mercy takes away the unmet expectations and that we have this ministry that is really at the top of our priority list. Yes, we do the things we have to do to take care of our families and to meet the needs that we have to meet. Yes, we understand that we give ourselves to those things and and do them well and adorn the gospel, but we understand that all those things are the foundations for which we look to fulfilling the ministry of this marvelous gospel. Marvelous Uh, ministry of the blood of Christ which has done so much uh, for us and has been declared to be the good news and Lord I thank you for our opportunities to do it I pray that you'll continue to multiply them in just a couple of weeks as John will talk about in a little bit we'll have an opportunity to do these things to represent you to hand out tracts which have the uh, glorious news of the gospel in them And Lord, I pray that you'll bless that ministry. I pray that you'll bring people to us from this congregation who've not done this before, but uh, have determined that they're going to make that a priority. And Lord, I pray that you'll bless that effort. And we, uh, so many things, Father, that we could say. Thank you for the opportunity for ministry together today. Thank you for those who give themselves in Sunday school and and children's church and sacrifice in the safety uh, team and all those things they do to, to honor your name. Thank you for them. Thank you that you keep account of all of that. 
any sacrifices that are made, any things that are um, that cost, you you know what they are. Thank you for the faithful giving of our church throughout this year, being able to do the ministry things and, and, and meet the needs we needed to meet. Thank you for that. Thank you for all the blessings of all those things. And most of all, Father, we thank you for our salvation, so marvelous from you through your Son. Uh, and Lord, I, I pray that um, we'll be salt and light in this season. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen.